Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. It's great to be here this morning. A lot less humid in your part of the world than in mine. It was a warm 30 degree weekend when I left home yesterday. And uh, so just nice to be here in the cool air, although I must say that it's... Uh, God's called each of us to live where he's placed us. I'm very, very happy in Hillcrest. We love it there. We've lived there for nearly six years. I have two sons, if you don't know me or haven't uh, been here when, when I've been up here previously. One of them's 13. He just started grade eight this year. The younger one is 11 years old. He's in grade six. They're both passionate sports fans and watchers at the moment. It's all cricket, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we really are... So thrilled for the friendship that we've got with this amazing church, with your amazing team. I was generously hosted by Brandon and May yesterday evening and uh, this morning, and May is a, an amazing cook. I just thank you. <clears throat> Known them for many, many years, Brandon and May, so it's good to have friendship that spans a couple of decades. And I don't think we'd have had this kind of connection if it wasn't for the church, the the Church of Jesus Christ. Before I get into what I want to speak about this morning, which is around the subject of community, Christian community, and how amazing it is. So if you wanted to sum up this message in a nutshell before you fall asleep, is that life is best done together. And I think that we see this over and over and over again in the Bible. I heard a, a preacher a few years ago tell a story about a man named Jonathan Leach, a pastor from Durban who I'd never met at that time. And they had a meeting of some pastors from different uh, apostolic flows. And there was quite a lot of disagreement and some animosity and some big discussions that were happening. And at the end of the uh, couple of days that they met together, they invited Jonathan to finish off with breaking of bread. And he's a very dramatic man. I've subsequently met him. I'll, t I'll tell you a bit more about that. So he takes a piece of bread off the, the communion table. And he says, the Bible says, I have no need of you. And he breaks off a piece of bread and throws it out the window. <clears throat> Everybody's a little bit uh, unsettled. He takes off uh, another piece of bread. He says, the Bible says, I have no need of you. And throws that piece out the window. And he takes a third piece of bread. He says, the Bible says, let no man say, I have no need of you. Now that's uh, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where God speaks about us, how we need each other in the church. An interesting verse in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. So I'm just going to clear my throat again. To be broadcast over, over everything. But it says, this is one of the key verses that I go to, to get a snapshot of what the very first church looked like. And it says, they, this early church in Jerusalem, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Wouldn't you say the word fellowship out loud? To the breaking of bread and to pray. Now, this word fellowship has become one of those distinctly kind of Christianese words. Uh, many churches have a church building, which they call the sanctuary, and then a hall next to it, which is called the fellowship hall. And basically, in the first building, you get to keep quiet. And in the second building, you get to drink tea and talk and uh, connect with each other. But this word fellowship, this idea 
of people who share the same faith connecting together is far more than just drinking tea. It says this church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. Now that makes sense. To prayer, we get that. To the breaking of bread, which is the celebration of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Well, that makes sense. But devoting yourselves to community with other people who are very much not like us, a whole lot of them in any local church, a whole lot of whom we wouldn't ordinarily get along with in any other sphere of life. And here we are kind of vice gripped together. It says the early church devoted themselves to that, devoted themselves to community. And a little later on in the same passage, it tells us a little bit about what it looked like. It says every day, this community continued to meet together in the temple courts. I would imagine that was a larger gathering similar to today, um, a larger crowd. And then it says they broke bread in their homes. Ah, so it wasn't just doing church together in a Sunday service or whatever it looked like. But they also did community in their homes. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved or those who were coming to faith in Christ. <clears throat> it's quite interesting, and there's some other pieces that are left out of this verse, but a church that is devoted to the Word of God, to prayer, to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and devoted to the idea of community becomes a church that God seems to add people to. He says God added daily those that were coming to faith in Christ. Now, this idea of, an, of a Christ-centered community is, a, is a, an idea actually that comes through the whole of the Bible. And I'm not going to preach from Genesis to Revelation today, but it's, I can if you want. Just wanted to, at the exact time you wanted me to land, Johan, about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. If you go to Genesis 1, the idea of community is in verse 26, is that God is a community. It says, let us make man in our image. So we see this idea unpacked further in the Bible that God is triune, which is a complex subject that I don't pretend to fully understand, but it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the eternal perfect community, who is one but three. And Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God, if you like, out of an overflow of his enjoyment of his own community, creates man as an extension of the God community. And so the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, it says they walked with God in the garden daily. That's a whole lot different to just having a service, if you like. That's communing, walking with God. The third chapter of the Bible speaks about community being broken. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve choose to disobey the one and only commandment that God originally gave them. And what is the consequence of that for those that have read Genesis 3? As soon as God comes to walk with them, they run away and they hide. In other words, community is broken. So within three chapters, you have a God community, his design of us to be in that community, and then community being broken. And the full extent of that is seen in Genesis 4, where Adam and Eve's two boys, I mean, they're part of the original family that should have enjoyed this God community. Genesis 4 tells us a, a, a terrible story of how anger, jealousy, murder, and isolation dominate and creep into 
community. And from Genesis 4 onwards, we see that this is the story essentially of human community, is that anger tends to dominate and wars, murder, jealousy, fighting and conflict. And I side with my tribe, whatever that might be in human history, and we, everybody needs to have someone else to look down on. I'm speaking in a natural sense. And so we call ourselves whatever it is, and we look down on somebody who's not like us. And this is the, the impact of community being broken. And the incredible impact that Christ has, God come to earth, is to restore community. And it's a two-way connection. And this isn't new. I'm just revisiting some of these truths. It's connection, first of all, with the God community. That the perfect community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invites me and you to join him walking in the garden daily. Again. Paradise regained, if you like. But it's not just that community. As soon as that's reestablished, he urges and invites us into a different kind of community with other human beings. And he calls that community the church. And I'm speaking about church. I'm thinking global, but I'm thinking very specifically local church. He invites us not just to do services together, but to do life together as his church. Now, even as I say that word church, it, it would spark maybe a hundred different pictures in all of our minds of what the church is. Uh, some of it developed through bad experience, through pain, some of it through positive experience, but all of it incomplete because none of us can properly see the church the way God sees it. So Jesus gives us a number of different pictures of his community. But three of these pictures really stand out to me. If you were to analyze my life, kind of helicopter out, I'm talking about Steve Wimble, the three things that are closest to me are, first of all, my physical body. That's pretty close. The second closest thing or being to me is my wife, Jackie. We've been we will be married for 16 years this coming May. And then if you extend one further, my two boys... They, the next closest to me, my immediate family. And these three pictures God uses to describe how he views the church. He says, the church is my body, his body. You don't get much closer than that. And he says, essentially, you might be kind of situated in the area of the body, the pancreas, and somebody else's in the liver, and somebody else's in the kidneys, and you might, you might be the pancreas people, but you need the liver people or the lungs people or the heart people in order to be my body. And, and then he, he says, now if you take that second picture, the picture of the bride, he says another view that I have of my church, the local church, is my bride. This is such an intensely close picture. And Revelation paints the picture of God coming back, Jesus returning for his bride, the local church. He's not coming back for any of our houses or any of our cars or any of our businesses. Or all of those things are part of doing his purpose here on earth. But the thing Christ is coming back for is his church, the bride. So I can say, well, I don't like that person. I don't like that person. I don't really like what they said or what they teach, etc. Guess what? Christ is coming back for all of us. We're going to be in heaven together. We better start learning how to get along here on earth. And then he says, another picture of my church is the family of God. 
And that's quite an interesting picture because every family, every member of a family has, its, has their own idiosyncrasies and their own uniquenesses. And, and Jesus says, this is my family. And so he says, you don't properly, will ever properly understand how close the church is to me. I'm, I'm talk, paraphrasing here. He says, the church is my body. It's my bride. It's my family. And somehow he knew that in spite of all the warts, pimples, and imperfections that we carry, I'm speaking metaphorically, of course, into the church, we're still a Christ-based community that God designed and he developed. Now, a whole lot of us, not a whole lot of us, every single one of us, arrive in the community of faith carrying our baggage, right? So the jealousy, the anger, the isolation that comes naturally with sin that I spoke about in Genesis 3, that kind of sits on me and you like a big backpack. And we don't even realize we have some of that stuff. But as we walk into each other's lounges or into a building like this, <clears throat> it's like my baggage bumps up against some of your hun's baggage. And I, there's, there's rub up. There's differences. And then I hang with some people. I think, boy, okay, we get each other. And usually that's because our baggage just looks the same. Right? We get each other. It's because our baggage looks the same. And then we come before Christ. Oh, I realize that's so not what you had in mind for me. Help me undo some of this baggage that I carry. And part of the baggage that we carry relates to this idea is we Two extremes. Number one, the one extreme is we expect others to meet all of our needs. So part of the baggage that we carry in that bumps against other people is I expect you to be more for me than you can be, whoever you are in my local church. And so I go through life with this kind of blame game complex that goes something like this. My dad passed away. He, lived, he did pass away, but I'm using that as an example. Someone passes away. I expected the church to care for me more. You didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. Nobody did enough. So I'm leaving. The other extreme of this is this idea. Is, well, I've got a relationship with God. I don't really need anybody. But yeah, I mean, I look at some of you guys. I think, dear, what could I learn from you? Your life's in a mess. I don't really need other people. And that's so proud and arrogant and ungodly. And you look at me and say, well, I don't need you because you're proud and arrogant and ungodly. And your life's in a mess as a result. Well, I don't need the local church. And so our cities are filled with people who are sitting at home outside of effective Christian community, just having a connection with God, essentially saying, I like you, Jesus, but I don't really like your body. I love you, Jesus, but I don't like your bride. You're welcome to supper, but just leave your wife at home. You would never say that to another couple. Well, I like you, but I hate your family. I don't need them. And between these two extremes of you don't do enough for me, and I don't need you to do anything for me, lives the Christ idea of being interdependent, doing Christian community together, which is so countercultural in a world that says, I don't need anybody else. I'm better by myself. So I'd like to speak this morning about five reasons why we do need each other. 
I'm going to start by reading Romans 12, verse 5, which says this. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Or to put it another way, the New Living Translation says it like this. Since we are all one body in Christ, we all belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. When you turn to somebody sitting next to you and say, we need you. So five reasons, and I'm, this is, I'm wording this purposely very personally. If you're part of this local church, think of LRC. If you're part of another local church, think of that church. But five reasons why you and I need others. Number one, I need others to walk with me. Consistently throughout the New Testament, the idea of our journey of faith is painted as a journey or as a walk. We're called to walk in obedience, walk in Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 says this, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so the idea is that our faith is growing and we're on a journey. We're progressing. Now, there's a whole lot of people that say, you know what, I'll walk better alone because I can set my own pace and my own gait. My wife, Jax, is a much better walker and runner than me. I'm not a runner at all. But walking-wise, she just walks faster. She's, she's stronger. She runs stuff like comrades. And I just run around the block and then put it back under my bed. That's so it's easier when you're walking with somebody who's slower like me to say, you know what, I'm better alone. But you know, it, I'm speaking in the natural now. Why is it better to walk together? Why is it better to be in groups, as my little cartoon showed? Well, first of all, it's safer. In South Africa, we know that as well as anywhere else in the world. It's safer to be together. Person walking alone is a target. You can see the spiritual metaphor for that. An isolated believer outside of Christ's community, just with him, becomes unsafe. And the second reason it's better to walk alone is because it's smarter. Safer and it's smarter. See, if I walk together with you, I can learn from your mistakes. I draw from general wisdom. I listen to someone like Trevor. And he tells me some of his journey. I think, oh boy, what great wisdom. I can learn from that. Listen to somebody else, to Heath. Listen to him. I think, wow, what amazing stuff he's learned. I can learn from that. And so we inspire each other in community. There's a very interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 14, which in the message Bible paraphrases, puts it like this. When you gather, each one of you be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a hymn. Teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight, take your turn. That way you'll all learn from each other. I'd like to suggest, I don't think that that verse can fully be outworked on a Sunday. The Bible says they met in Acts 2, temple courts and house to house. And I don't know how this works in all different cities, but I tell you, Everywhere people are busy, certainly where I've been. And so what we've said to some of the guys in our church, if we don't, or to, I've said it to our whole congregation, if we don't have a group that works at the right time of day for you or the right kind of people or doesn't fit what you're doing, why don't you start a group? Why don't you get three friends? If you've got three friends in an hour in a week, you could do something. It doesn't need to look like anybody else's group. You could do a lunch hour at work. 
have a breakfast meeting, do a 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. meeting the way one of our men's groups does it because that's Friday morning. That's those, some business guys. That's their only time in the week where they generally free. You see, this is the big deal about Christian community. It's impossible to learn about community without being in community. And I'd like to suggest that a group this size, just meeting for an hour and a half where you pitch up, listen, worship together, it's all great for that purpose, but it's not an easy place to learn community. Who are you communing together with in the rest of the week? Second reason I need others, I need others to work with me. Christian community is one of the God's answers to fatigue, to burning out. I've got a box of matches here. If I was to ask you to take that one single match and snap it between your fingers, do you think that's a complex, difficult task or a relatively easy, simple one? Not too difficult. You see, each of us at, at some level are those matchsticks. We all carry our own vulnerabilities. Enough pressure and we can snap somewhere. But you take a whole bunch of those vulnerable, awkward people like me and you and put us together in community somewhere and then try and snap the bunch, it's not easily broken. Because every matchstick lends strength to every other matchstick. That's the idea of community. Rudyard Kipling, the author of The Jungle Book, had an amazing little piece of poetry there when he, he gave the law of the jungle for wolves. He said the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack. In a very Christian sense, the strength of me is you and the strength of you is me in any local church. There's an, a Zambian proverb which I believe goes like this. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. In terms of your journey of faith, do you plan on going fast or far? Ephesians chapter 4 says this, from him the whole body, there's the metaphor again, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's you and me, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Uh, my boys are big sports fans, as I mentioned, and I might be one as well. And the interesting thing about watching a soccer game or rugby game is it's generally... 22 or 30 players on the field desperately in need of rest, being watched by 20,000 people desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> and the 20,000 of us desperately in need of exercise generally have got a much better idea of what should be done down there on the pitch. Church should not be like that. Where 20, whatever the 22 is, a tiny percentage of a local church are desperately in need of a rest, while everybody else is in desperately, desperate need of doing something. This verse in Ephesians 4 says, let me use it very, very specifically. LRC, Linbro, will grow and build itself up in love as each part, each person does its work. We could spend hours just on that verse of what our unique strengths and weaknesses bring into the, into the um, church. But this is the basis of it is, am I doing my work? Am I connecting with others and helping others to grow? Am I giving and receiving or just receiving? 
Third reason why we need each other is I need others to watch out for me. I don't often use the New Living Translation, but in Ecclesiastes 4, it, it words this verse quite nicely. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Here's the idea again of community bringing strength. We moved into a new house uh, two and a half years ago. And we've slowly started building connections with our neighbors. Some of them have started coming along to church. Some have joined the group that we launched at the beginning of last year. Uh, not all of them are that impressed, to be honest, with church. But we've all started to build connection. And you know what's cool is when one family goes away on holiday, you'll ask another family just to watch out for things. They're like, I don't know exactly what that means. Like if there's fire coming out of their house that we find the fire department. But let's watch out for each other. It's, the it's that, but in a much deeper Christian community sense, is I need others to look out for me when I'm tired, when I'm weak, when I make decisions that are poor. Do you have any people around you that could comment on that? Do you have any people that you ask, that you're connected to enough, that people are looking out, praying for you somewhere, somehow? See, a whole lot of us, we say we're connected, but in truth, we isolated connected. Yeah, we're connected enough that we've got to, we could tick the box if pushed, but strip the onion layers down to real connection. Many, many people that are members of a local church, not a whole heap of others who, act, who know them. A very interesting uh, discussion with a man who moved into a gated community in, uh, in our area. And he knew the stats of how many people was predominantly white families that lived there. So his, and he's a black man, black businessman. So I said to him, I just met him kind of by accident. He was hiring a building for a housewarming party and I met him there. So he says, I asked him, how are you enjoying living in that community? Knowing some of the demographic there, he says, I've never been this lonely in my life. He says, why was that? He says, well, where I grew up in such and such an area, he said, it was, everybody just came and went. We used to visit each other. You, know, you didn't need a phone and make an appointment. You just pitched up. He says, and then I started my business and I moved into one of the suburbs. And there it got a little more isolated. And he says, now I'm in an estate. He says, this is the very worst. He says, and he was, he was teasing us white families. He says, I don't know about the white families who live in that place. But he says, geez, where I come from, I've never been so lonely in my entire life. And I thought that's a beautiful a, a comment actually on community. The idea of Ubuntu is that your life and my life are intertwined. And in the church community, it's intertwined around Christ. And therefore, I look out for each other. We look to make friends. We look to connect beyond just my little circle. We have other people watching our back. The fourth reason that we need others I need others to weep with me. Incredible thing about God's word is it doesn't promise that our journey of faith is always going to be just mountaintop. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
Romans 12, Paul gives instructions to Christian community. He says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Community is God's answer to despair. None of us were meant to go through valleys all alone. Meant to look out for each other. Meant to weep together. My dad passed away in 2014. And it was in Maritzburg, which was our previous church community. My brother is still part of that church and my sister. Sisters, in fact. And so on the Thursday morning that he passed away, we drove up to Maritzburg and got there just after he had passed. We spent a couple of hours at that facility and then we went back to my brother's house just to, I guess, grieve together, start making plans for the funeral memorial service. One of our friends in that church is a lawyer. He owns his own practice. He had three children at that time. He now has four. Leads an exceptionally busy life. And this man was there that day. He had phoned ahead, somehow managed to find the key, get into their house, and had his suit tie off and his shirt sleeves rolled up. And he was elbow deep in dishwashing water, washing all my brother and sister-in-law's dirty dishes because they'd hosted people there the night before. And he didn't have huge dreams of scripture or anything super spiritual. We didn't need it. It's just somebody there to weep together. Say, your dad was an amazing man and I just, I finished washing all the dishes. He had been there before us and left soon after we got there. He had meetings to get to, but was doing community. Now, let me hasten to add this. If you have been through valleys and felt, gee, I was all alone, nobody got around me. Here's the question. How connected are you that people even know? Because if if you and I are so isolated that nobody really knows the mountains and valleys of our life, oh, it's easy from the valley to point fingers at everybody else. But when we connected those matchsticks in a group or in a a connection, community of people, the smaller group than this group of friends, I mean, within a local church, Then we can look out for each other. The bigger question is how many times have I been there in other people's valleys? How many times have I wept with others? Or in other people's grief, am I too busy? I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do in those situations. But in my dark times, boy, I want more people to be around me. This is community. It's learning how to love, learning how to give and receive, learning how to get past my baggage of those two extremes. Does that make sense? Fifth and final reason why I need my local church and you need yours is I need others to witness with me. That's just to keep with the W's. Now, this, if you're new to the Christian faith, this word of witness basically means to tell what you've seen. You know, if you've been a witness in a, in a trial or an accident, you need a witness statement. That's the idea the Bible uses to talk about your faith in Christ. And what's really interesting is that Jesus in John told us what the greatest snapshot of love would be to people who didn't yet know him. And guess what it is? He says, John 13, uh, 14, 35, by this will, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Sorry, I got the, I put the um, verse wrong there. That should be John 14, 35. Jesus said this is the most powerful snapshot to anybody who doesn't have faith of what his love is like, is how we love each other. Just think about that for a minute. 
Let's say you were to be audited by people who didn't yet have faith in Christ about your love for other people in his community. How would you do? How would you stand up under that kind of, how loving are we? I'm not trying to even bring a heavy. I, I think about this verse and I think, God, I fall, I fall so far short. Because my instinctive response in so many situations isn't a loving one. It's a, oh gosh. And as one of the guys, new guys in my life group says, well, you get paid to care for people. You're a pastor. You get paid to get guys like me into your group. I don't feel all that loving all the time. Does God help me to do this? And you see, the reason we can grow in our love for each other, and this is a broad subject, and I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg this morning. The reason we can grow in our love for each other is when we remember the why. Remember the why. Why am I here on this earth? Is because God loves me and loved everybody enough to make me. God hasn't made anybody in the world that he doesn't love. I might struggle, but he doesn't. He loves every single human being. And the reason I'm here today in a much more specific sense is because Christ loved me enough to die for me. My boy told me a story that he'd heard while somebody was sharing somewhere. And I went and looked it up and found it. Uh, apparently, it's a true story of a penniless boy who, I think it was in England, uh, during the Great Famine in the 1850s, had no money to go across to America, to the New World. And so hit on a ship that was heading in that direction as a stowaway. And on that journey, the ship struck an iceberg. And it didn't sink immediately, but it started to sink, giving enough time for all the passengers to get onto the lifeboats. There were just enough seats on the lifeboats for the passengers on board. And this boy, hidden beneath the deck of the ship, felt that the ship had stopped and came up on top of the deck to see what had happened. And saw everybody climbing into the lifeboats, and the captain was about to take the last seat in the final lifeboat before pushing off. He saw this boy and figured out what had happened. And the captain ended up giving up his seat in that lifeboat for the boy and stood on the sinking ship and pushed the boat off. And as he did that, he said to this young stowaway boy, never forget what has been done for you. Never forget what has been done for you. And as that boat pulled away and the ship carried on sinking, the memory was seared in this boy's mind of the captain standing there saying to him, never forget what has been done for you. And later on in life, he became a very successful businessman. Many people asked for his story. And every time he told his story, he recounted the story of the captain who gave up the final place on the lifeboat for him and said to him, never forget what has been done for you. And he said when he felt discouraged and felt like backing down and not doing what he was doing, he just remembered what that captain had told him. And it gave him strength and courage to keep moving forward. I'd like to suggest this morning that an eternal, in an eternal sense, the captain of the universe gave up his seat, came to earth to die for people like you and I who are at heart God rebels. 
you and I wonder in our kind of awkward, vulnerable, tumultuous lives, we say, God, do you even know that I love? Do you love me? How much do you love me? And, and he says, I love you this much. Because that is the greatest sign of his love is him dying on the cross for us. And the why of why we get to love others, not have to get to love others, is because he first loved us. And it's like through the ages, the voice of the captain of our souls shines down through human history and looks at my life and looks at your life and says, never forget what has been done for you. Never forget the price that was paid for you. And when I forget, I get trapped in my smallness. Oh, that person and that person. And when I remember... Like, God, you put me on this earth for a much greater reason than just to be in my little bubble. It was to be connected, to be part of your community. And as we do community, we become a light that shines. I draw strength from others. I walk together. I work together. We witness together. We weep together. And what was my third? We watch out for each other together. And we kind of bumble our way along, drawn together because of the love of Christ, because he first loved us and invited us into this incredible community called the local church. I don't know where you're at today. I hope that there's some people here that you've never placed your faith yet in Christ. The reason I hope that is that's the reason local churches exist, is to invite others in. There might be others here today that for some reason you've got cynical about community and you just do church alone together. You live an isolated community type of existence. Hopefully there's others that God's just been stirring your heart to, to commune deeper, to commune better, to get more connected, to do something, to extend an invitation, to show love somewhere, somehow, weekly, daily, if possible. Could we stand together?